Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Trina Olson and Alfonso Wenker about aligning our values of equity with our actions in hiring. Trina Olson and Alfonso Wenker, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having us. Great to be it, here. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm super excited to have a nice dialogue with you today. We're going to be exploring how we can go about aligning our values of equity with our actions within our organizations, hiring, onboarding, promotion, all those sorts of things. There are so many different ways that these values start to play out and frankly, a lot of times we're not consistent, like what we say we want, what we say our values are versus what we actually do consistently over time are not congruent. And that causes all sorts of problems, certainly for marginalized groups and populations um, who experience inequities in the workplace. Uh, but really for everyone, I, I think nobody is served well when our actions are out of alignment with our stated values. So we're, that's what we're going to be exploring together today. As we get started, I wanted to share my guest's bios with everybody. Trina Olson is the next guiding voice in the conversation about the future of work and equitable work culture. CEO and co-founder of Team Dynamics, Trina believes going to work in America can feel fundamentally different if and only if we deal with the impacts of racism and sexism. For the past 25 years, Trina has held key leadership roles around the country in New York, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and Los Angeles. She has authored numerous pieces on race and gender issues, including Seeking Safe Haven, LGBTQ People in the American Immigration Experience as a co-author. She's a co-host on the Behave podcast and a highly sought-after workplace equity advisor. Alfonso Wenker is a lauded movement and thought leader driven to convene, connect, and coach top executives to better align values with practice. President and co-founder of Team Dynamics, Alfonso is focused on organizing teams to co-create new paradigms for how people can work and lead. As a third-generation Mexican-American, queer Christian man living in Minneapolis, Alfonso consistently gathers and responds to communities calling for racial justice and gender liberation. Before Team Dynamics, Alfonso spent more than a decade in the field of philanthropy where he worked tirelessly to advance racial and LGBTQ plus justice, while creating new opportunities for people of color to break into and lead in the field. Uh, both of you have 
tremendous backgrounds. It is a pleasure to be with you. Anything else either or both of you would like to share with me and my audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation further? I would just add, because I know this is an audio medium, some things that are true for me and influence how I come to this phase of this work. Uh, I just celebrated my 41st birthday. Um, That feels important in this context because I am mid-career. I get to be a big boss right now and get to be listened to. um, And I got a lot of years left to go. So I'm really motivated by what we can do um, in what is remaining of my working life. I am also white and I am currently making my home in South Minneapolis. And I'll just layer on that part of why we want to have this really specific conversation uh, at the intersection of hiring and equity is because we co-authored a book called Hiring Revolution. Hiring Revolution is a guide to disrupt racism and sexism in hiring. So we really wanted to take a look at the hiring process and all of the hand wringing and all of the sort of late night pacing and all of the, oh shoot, we messed up again conversations that we've been in with um, folks all across a bunch of different industries and say, it's probably time to start doing things really, really differently when it comes to hiring. Well said. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I have, you know, again, just focusing on hiring here for a moment uh, and a little bit of my experience. Um, I have seen over and over and over again what I would frame as well intentioned individuals who I, I honestly believe they have these values. They, they, they want um, to be free of racism, sexism, bigotry. Uh, they, they espouse good values, yet, the processes put in place, the, the mechanisms that are institutionalized and how they carry things out in the practice of, say, hiring, inevitably perpetuate systems of inequality and in, inequity and injustice. And, and so regardless of the good intentions that people might have, though, when there's bad outcomes, it, it has to be called out and it has to be corrected. And, and so, you know, I, I really appreciate the work that both of you are doing to try to address these challenging issues, which are uncomfortable for many. And it's a, it's a hard thing for many to start to wrap their minds around. And, and they say, I'm not racist. I'm not sexist. I'm not bigoted. You know, I like people. I love everyone equally. Okay. No, I mean, nobody's questioning whether or not you're, overall a good person. It, but if the systems are in place that perpetuate bad behaviors where those behaviors are incongruent with whatever the values are, it's a problem and it needs to be corrected. I should also state, I think longtime listeners of the podcast know, um, but I'm, I'm a straight, white, cisgender uh, dude. And, and so I come to the conversation with all my layers of privilege as well. Uh, I appreciate both of you laying out kind of your background, your context, And I think together we can have a really great dialogue as we explore all of this. So as we get started, let's start to tackle, we're gonna try to tackle and define some things. Um, Racism and sexism, for example, let's hone in on that for a moment. What, What is it and why do you think that racism and sexism in hiring have remained such a pervasive problem in the US today? So, we could talk all day about what exactly racism and sexism are, but the way that we like to talk about it is the U.S. economy. So the creation of a U.S. economy or the U.S. as as sort of a a context has baked into it uh, a lot of preferences toward whiteness and masculinity. 
So every system, every structure, every idea, every notion of work and who is most worthy of leading and most worthy of owning and most worthy of making money is oriented around ideas of the white masculine. So that, that orientation or that um, situation um, creates racist and sexist outcomes, meaning um, we have structures and systems, policies and practices that produce results on purpose for white folks and for men to be most successful. So the issue with hiring is everything we've learned as best practice in hiring is about a design that has said the most desirable leaders who deserve to be paid well, promoted the most and hired most often are people who emulate whiteness and masculinity. So for a long time, we've all been saying, let's change our values or let's change our priorities or let's try a couple of different things but we're still inside of a process whose um, origins are rooted in success for only certain kinds of people. And, and maybe if, if you could provide an example or two of some of these systemic issues that perpetuate the inequalities. Um, so I think, for example, when, I, when we think about the economic system that the US and what many Western cultures are built upon, you refer to it in, in terms of, you know, really built to uh, privilege masculinity uh, and built to privilege whiteness. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean every white dude out there who benefits from those privileges of the system are racist or sexist, right? But if we're not willing to acknowledge the system, the systemic inequities, and we're not willing to push back on them, then that certainly that while I may not be racist, I, I'm complicit in the perpetuation of the inequities, right? Um, and, and so that becomes an issue. And then I think of things like uh, one example I'll throw out, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on other examples, either societally or within organizations, you know, we have examples like redlining um, in the United States, which is has has created generations of inequality um, that has been perpetuated uh, duly based on th on these policies that seemed maybe seemed fairly innocuous to some people uh, on their inception but but have foundationally created systems of inequality uh, for generations of individuals people of color other marginalized populations Right. So what are some other examples that that you would point to um, to help people wrap their mind around this idea of systems of inequality? Yeah, I think it's a really good practice to continue to recognize and wrestle with the modern implications. Right. Because way too often we talk about systematic oppression as being from the before times or being historic, right? And absolutely, when we talk about cross-generational wealth transfer, we talk about who hasn't, hasn't had access to go to college, which is currently pay to play, right? We can sort of see this, the cascading effect, right? But when we look at hiring in particular, there are all of these false truisms and binaries. So the truisms haven't actually been true. And there's way more gray area to the binaries than anybody has ever thought of, right? So if we talk about the zero sum paradigm, where this means that men and white people are going to lose if 
other people can finally meet their Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's not true, right? We're just conflating or believing that there's not enough to go around. And then this idea that we have in the US really posited um, with great consistency and backed up by propaganda that the US is a meritocracy when in fact that hasn't yet been true, right? So that might be a goal we have. And as you were talking to just set up the conversation today, we know there's this huge gap between aspiration and actuality. So right now, the fact that our identities are predictable. So one of the reasons Alfonso and I founded a business together is I was starting to get really irritated that men I love younger than me were starting to get paid more than me. And I met with a mentor and she said, the only way I know for women to get paid appropriately is to pay themselves, right? Is to work for themselves. And I was like, oh, it's happening to me. Like, oh, here it is, right? And so in the first part of hiring revolution, and we talk about this research all the time in our work at Team Dynamics with our clients around the country, the modern day research is stunning, right? So right now, if we think about pay, promotion, and hiring, those three just sort of areas, we are abysmally out of line with our stated values. So right now, for example, in the US, modern research tells us that if you are a person of color, you are twice as likely to be passed over at the resume level, even if your qualifications are identical to a white person, because somebody subconsciously or consciously is telling themselves the story that you are less than because you are a person of color. So that's right now, right? So uh, another stat that really has been sticking with Alfonso and I is when you combine race and gender with class. So here in the U.S., all three of those things are inextricably linked. You cannot pull them apart and talk about them as separate because they're not. The research we stumbled upon when we were um, putting the book together was that right now, Latinx women will not be paid on par with white men until the year 2224. That is eight generations from now. The three of us are going to be long gone <laughs> by then, right? And so when we looked at this like pace of change, the only way to describe it is glacial. So what are we going to do to make sure that we're not just pretending like things are quote unquote getting better in the background, but we are making significant change while we are in leadership positions in the workforce so that identity will no longer be an accurate predictive factor of who is and isn't given an opportunity to do their best work. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations. Check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital. 
exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. So we have these systems perpetuating inequities um, and we have this disconnect, this imbalance and this disconnect between uh, espoused aspirational values and the actual behaviors. Um, something I was starting to say a few minutes ago, I, I can share now, um, just an example that I've seen recently. Uh, you know, I, I have done some work with one particular organization and, and they have a lot of gender inequities. Uh, and they have a lot of really good espoused values. They're saying the right things. They're saying, you know, th these are things that are important to them that they want to fix. Um, it's part of why they are working with me. Uh, and, and so they're trying to understand why, you know, they have like 95% of this particular area of the organization are men. Uh, why are there no women there? <laughs> what, what, and what can they do about it? How can they uh, break down these barriers and, and have more women and people of color, you know, as part of their workforce. Um, good, good goals. Uh, and then they're, they're, they have some job postings and they're, they're high, going through the hiring process and they have one particular position for a, you know, a really highly skilled, highly educated position. And they're going through the process and I, I'm kind of evaluating this. I'm, I'm observing and I'm providing feedback on what they're doing turns out they, their hiring committee is determined that there isn't a single woman that they think is deserving to interview, not a single woman to even interview, let alone, you know, offer a position to, how are you ever going to address the, the, the gender imbalance in a certain area of an organization? If you're not even interviewing women um, for positions, how are you ever going to address, you know, the fact that 80 plus percent of them are all white dudes? Um, if you can't, start to, to actually try to interview people of difference from different backgrounds. And I challenge them on it. And they're like, well, I know it looks bad, but gender really has nothing to do with it. You know, we just, these are the, the requirements for the job. These are the skills we need. These are, you know, th this is the criteria. And there just weren't any women that fit those criteria. And so that's why we're only interviewing men. And of course, my, I have to push back on that. I'm like, okay, well, let's take a look at your criteria. <laughs> let's look, take a look at what you're privileging in terms of qualifications and why you're, you're putting emphasis on certain things rather than other things, right? And only through going through that process and somewhat of a painful process for them, because it started to uncover some unconscious biases and, and those sorts of things, were they able, able to start to recognize that, yes, they're, they're perpetuating systems of inequality and it's not blatant, purposeful, like they weren't trying to set out to be sexist pricks, but the way they were going through the process was essentially uh, assuring that kind of an outcome, right? Uh, so that's something that I've just seen very recently. And it, it, this was with an organization that was mindful of the issue, mindful of the problem, trying to proactively take steps to correct it. And it was still that pervasive. Yeah, I think... I don't think we know. Um, and in our book, Hiring Revolution, we talk a lot about the fact that so much of how we do hiring is rooted in a limited notion of who a leader is or who the kind of person who does this job is. So we get stuck in imagining only specific kinds of people. So I am a man who is the president of a company. 
I know other men who are presidents of a company that are similarly sized or situated. And when I think about who is a president of a company, when I'm really, really honest, when I close my eyes and someone says president of a company, effectively, I flash before my own eyes. So when I say to any of you listening, close your eyes, and I'm going to say attorney, firefighter, doctor, parent, helper, artist. I hope you didn't close your eyes if you're driving. We all imagined a kind of person. And if you want to say, no, Alfonso, I didn't imagine anybody, you're lying to me. You have a notion of what kinds of people fill different kinds of roles, even if that notion feels really far away from anything you would ever say out loud in public to another person. Um, even if it feels really far away from your strategies, we all have a notion of who that leader is. And lately, increasingly, and we don't say it this way, but I'm feeling like the number one problem, one of the number one problems with the way that people begin their hiring process is they begin with a list of qualifications and a job description. And if that's where you're starting, it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to replicate the identity groups that already lead on this team. We have to go way upstream and have a very beginning conversation, a very hard and uncomfortable conversation that is when I close my eyes and tell my God's honest truth about who I imagine, I imagine more of me. Or I imagine more of who's here. So let's start from the premise that most of us around this table are probably imagining more of what's already here. We don't have to feel good about it, but if we can't just talk about it, we're just gonna replicate that process. The second piece is you talk about qualifications. In Hiring Revolution, Trina and I write extensively about dispensing with qualifications as a notion. Oftentimes we're working from boilerplate, we're working from years if not decades old laundry lists where if we were to actually go bullet point by bullet point, we can't tell you why some of those things have made their way onto the list. And in fact, a bunch of us might not even be able to do or have done the thing that is that bullet point that we're asking people to have done before. So in Hiring Revolution, we make a pivot. And so what you need to do is come up with a readiness and value add matrix. What is it that someone needs to be ready and able to be able to come in ready and able to do? And what is the value add that they would contribute to this team? So not, did you go to the same kind of college as me? Not, have you basically had this exact job before somewhere else and you just feel like leaving for an exactly lateral move, right? This isn't the market for that, right? Um, and what are we ready, willing, and able to teach? Because if we're honest, there's probably a lot at our company that we would prefer to teach people to do rather than someone coming with industry experience and us having to unlearn ways of doing a particular task or a particular function. So um, we have to come back to this readiness and value add matrix as sort of a central conversation point in the process also, so that we don't start talking about hidden criteria, personal biases and preferences that we have. We can say, hey, actually, we didn't say that, that, that we needed the person to be ready to do that. We didn't say that that thing would add value. So why has it become the make or break talking point? about this particular candidate. 
So John, if it's okay, two things that came up for me while Alfonso was sharing is I want to be crystal clear that the reason we showed all of our work. So in some ways, our book to us feels like we were back in an eighth grade math class, right? Remember where you weren't allowed to turn in your homework if you only had the answer, right? So right now at Team Dynamics, we are a majority people of color firm. We have women and men in leadership. We have LGBT people. So we could just be like, ta-da, we did it. Um, but what we did was we have over 20 tools that people are welcome to borrow from and use as new templates because it's literally how we hire. And so what we're trying to do is not lower the bar. We're trying to disentangle what for so long have been arbitrary barriers, right? So we've all ended up interviewing somebody who has uh, been a manager for 10 years. Doesn't mean they were good at it. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then that idea too, because you have mentioned at the beginning, this idea of spending all of our energy trying to resist being called or thought of as racist or sexist. So part of what Alfonso and I think is the value in his and my partnership, which is across race and across gender, we have all been racially and gender programmed. So if we think of it that way, none of us are off the hook for that programming. And so part of it is as grownups who can handle real actual hard things, we can say, okay, so my programming has led me to prefer people who are six feet tall to people who are five foot one. My programming has led me to refer to prefer people who are thin to people who are heavy. My programming has led me to believe that people that speak English differently than me are less intelligent. Okay, now I'm like, well, I don't actually believe that. I've been to a ton of friends and family's houses and we all talk in our own way and everybody's really freaking smart. So, I, so we can slow down enough to say, okay, what is true about my programming? We don't have to be defensive about it. And then given that programming, how is that out of alignment with our values? So what are we gonna do every move along the way from the job posting, to asking for referrals, to interviews, to selection, that make sure we keep that front and center rather than sort of buried and in a shame spiral about it. Trina and Alfonso, this has been a fascinating conversation and I'm just so sad. I note the time, <laughs> it has flown by. We've only scratched the surface. I really would like to invite you back so we can continue the conversation because there's so much more that needs to be said, so much more for us to think about. Um, as we're trying to do better to align our values with our organizational practices uh, and the behaviors that manifest as we go throughout uh, the work that we do. Uh, but we're going to have to part ways for now. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Well, folks can check out teamdynamicsmn.com or at teamdynamicsllc on Twitter. You can also head to hiringrevolutionbook.com where you can get all those tools that Trina talked about. Um, so those are the best places to find us. And I would say my final word for today is just Alfonso and I have a ton of hope that taking tangible action is really going to make a incredible difference in our lifetime. So whether than feeling resigned, like all of this is out of our control or we're not attorneys or judges or elected officials. So what on earth can we be doing about the inequity in the US? 
for anybody who touches any part of a hiring payer promotion process, there is a ton you can do. So our goal is for this to feel really empowering as though there are actions you can take this week. I love it. And, and that is the, the point is we just need to start now, right? And get past having the conversations. That's good. Uh, lots of organizations are trying to have the conversations, trying to articulate your values. That's good. But we can't end there. That, that's the starting point, not the end point. And we have to move beyond to really, really challenge and examine the policies, practices, procedures, the institutionalized systems uh, of oppression, of injustice, of inequality, and try to better understand how we can go about breaking down the barriers so that we can truly give everyone equal opportunities, so that we can truly help everyone to feel included and feel like they belong, that they're needed, wanted, valued, and have the opportunity to contribute in meaningful ways every day. That's what we're going for. That's what we want. I, like you, I, I, I tend to be optimistic. I think we're um, we're going to get there, but we just have to keep focusing on this and we have to keep challenging and keep pushing. And, and so I'm excited to see what you and your team continue to do. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Trina and Alfonso can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? 
Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.